Well, if you have your Bible today, and I hope you do, would you take it and open to the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 21. Proverbs chapter 21. If you're a guest with us today, um, just a couple things. Um, first of all, this is not the usual platform appearance. Uh, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our kids at this time. It looks like they're already going. Fantastic. This is not our normal platform appearance. Uh, this is set up like this specifically because the sermon series we've been doing is called Make Space. We've been talking about the things that tend to clutter our, our minds and our hearts and, and our lives. Let me ask you, have you ever been charged with decluttering a space that has significant meaning to you? Either your spouse asked you to, or you looked around and you realized it's just time. In, in, am I the only one? Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Gwen, for participating. I appreciate that. Um, so several years ago, after um, about a dozen times or more of moving all or part of it, I finally realized it was time to declutter my personal library. You know, books are a pain to move. And um, I had moved them a lot, and I thought, it's just time for some of them to go. So I called my library and got it down to a, a reasonable size. It wasn't an easy thing to do. I mean, these were books that had been influential at that point in my life. I mean, uh, you know, through college courses and even before college. And, and I mean, just it was difficult to get rid of some of these things. But I did it, which made my labor force a lot happier when it was time to move because there were fewer boxes of heavy books to move. Uh, but that's been several years ago. Been here at Beulah now about six years. And um, <laughs> you, many of you are generous and give me books that you want me to read. And I buy books. And so my library has again grown. So not too long ago, I was looking at my library again, thinking, oh, there's just too much here. I got to get rid of some of these books. And, uh, and so I'm scanning through the library and kind of counting the books that I can get rid of, you know, the ones that aren't reference books. They're, you know, they're, they're probably not books I'm going to read again because they're outdated or, you know, they just don't have the, the same meaning in my life as they used to. And, and as I'm counting these books, as the number's growing, I'm having like this inner dialogue, like, like Earl, why are you even spending time doing this? You know you're not going to get rid of these books. They've meant so much to you. They've played significant roles at, at, at important times in your life. They look good on your shelf. It looks like you know a thing or two. I mean, it's a good facade. You're not going to get rid of these things. Why are you doing this? It's hard to declutter when things mean something to us. Or have you ever been charged with um, emptying out a space that didn't belong to you? It belonged to someone else. And you know that all the things in that space, because of who they belong to, have meaning to you and others just by virtue of whose stuff it was. So, for example, a lot of you know that, I, that several months ago, my last surviving grandparent, Grandma Wade, died. Now, Grandma and Grandpa Wade lived in the same house on Hively Avenue for as long as I can remember, and I'm 43. Um, so, needless to say, there's a lot of clutter Grandma left too many rooms filled with stuff. And my mom is one of the main siblings, one of, you know, one of the, the main children going through and, and trying to figure out what to do. And how do you do that? How do you go through your mom and dad's stuff knowing that you've got six other siblings 
who all have different emotional attachments to that stuff. And not even because of the stuff, but because of you know, who it represents. How do you decide what do, what do we get rid of and, and, and what do we um, you know, give to other people? What do we try to sell? What, what do we make sure that family members get? I mean, that's hard. It's hard to do that kind of thing. And if neither one of those connects with you, then let's try this one. In just a short time, we're going to get this stuff off the platform. Like all this clutter is going somewhere, back in a storage room where it came from or elsewhere. Now, if I walked up to you after church and I said, Jeff, it's your job to decide what's going back in storage or, and I don't know why I picked on Jeff, just I, I like bald men, I guess. I don't know. It's your, it's your job to decide what's going back in storage or what we're going to make available to other churches who could use it or what we're going to make available to the local landfill. How would you do that? How would you decide how to declutter a space or stuff that, that not only isn't yours, but that has significant meaning to people? It's hard to declutter, especially when there's significant meaning. It takes, it takes understanding to know, like, uh, what, what should we hold on to for later because it could come in useful and, and what is just taking up space and needs to take it up elsewhere. It, 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 takes, it takes courage to say to people who, have, who find meaning in stuff, that outlived its purpose, it really just needed to go. And it takes wisdom to know which tension is the best tension to live in. Do we live in the tension of cluttered spaces with stuff we'll probably never use again? Or do we live in the tension of people who are frustrated and, and sad and upset because of the feelings they had wrapped up in that stuff? So this is what we've been discussing for the last several weeks. What does it mean to declutter? Specifically, we're talking about one area in our lives. How do we declutter our hearts and our, our minds and our lives around this issue of money and stuff? How do we make sure that our heart hasn't filled up with things that aren't true? How do we make sure that we have a clear understanding of what God wants us to do with money and material possessions. So we started this series by looking at a parable that Jesus told that gave us an understanding of how God views our money. And last week we jumped to the Old Testament and we looked at what Solomon had to say about finding satisfaction and how our money and stuff relates to that. What I want to do today is, is try to go extremely practical as we look to the wisdom material in the Bible to learn some wisdom about how to uh, use our money and our stuff. Now, whether you're a sports fan or not, you've probably heard the story of the legendary coach whose team was, you know, professional football team was getting slaughtered at halftime. And so he stood in the locker room trying to motivate the, the players to do what they were getting paid to do. And he picked up a football. And what did he say? Men, this is a football. You've heard that story, right? And, and the whole point, you've never heard that story, Dan? Oh, I've used it before in a sermon, so we'll have to talk later. <laughs> Just play, I love you. So um, uh, the whole point is, gentlemen, 
if we're going to do what you know how to do, you've got to go back to the basics. Well, there's a sense in which for many of us, today's sermon is going to be like, ladies and gentlemen, this is a dollar bill. So the idea today is how can we find some wisdom from Scripture that will help us to get practical, that will help us to, to go back to the basics. And if you find yourself partway through saying, this, he wasn't kidding, this really is basic, I'm way beyond this, praise God, pray for someone else in the room who needs to hear it, because I believe there are those here who may need to hear some of these basic truths from Scripture and some ideas on how to apply the wisdom in Scripture. So here's what we're doing. We're looking at the book of Proverbs and we're asking the question, or, or, or we're finishing this statement, to be wise with my money, I will. So let's look at three things that Proverbs talks about. To be wise with my money, number one, I will make a plan. To be wise with my money, I will make a plan. Let's read this verse, Proverbs 21.5, together off of the screen, please. You, that means you read aloud with me. I don't know if I said that or not. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. But hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Great, you guys did a good job. Thank you. So last week I asked a question. I said, how many of you have ever spent money on something you later regretted? Do you recall that question? Let me ask again. By show of hands, how many have ever spent money on things you later regretted? Oh, good. We're being more honest with ourselves today. That's improvement. Well done. So last week I, I told you, kind of an embarrassing story about a TV I bought for our family. Do you remember that? If you were here, do you remember that story? If you weren't here, don't waste your time listening to it. It wasn't that great. Um, but I, I, I was honest and I told you that there was one person in my family, it wasn't my wife, who was not pleased with me for buying this new TV for the family. Well, that, that particular child, yes, or last Sunday afternoon, said to me, Dad, you should have told him the curved monitor story. I was like... This series isn't over yet. I've got more stories to tell. What I didn't tell her, as I knew it was coming this week, and it actually makes a point that, that I'd like to make here, and, and it doesn't make me look like a horrible person in the meantime. So would you like to hear the story? Thank you. Appreciate that. All right. So uh, last year, my, or, yeah, last year, last uh, summer, my family and I went on vacation for a week to Boston. Now, the Thursday of the week we were in Boston, we uh, spent the day in some, some quaint coastal towns. And one of these coastal towns had a, like a downtown area that had a bunch of, oh, kitschy shops. You know, these, these little hole-in-the-wall shops that just had all kinds of different things. They weren't, you know, they weren't necessarily mass-produced. Well, one of, one of the stores was, but everything else was you know, just kind of local, kitschy stuff. And we love that kind of thing. So we spent some time walking through the stores. Well, one of the stores we saw was this one. You can tell by the sign at the top middle of the screen that it's, it's going to be an interesting store. I guess you're going to go bananas when you go in. So uh, me and some of the kids thought we'd check it out while Sarah was in another shop. So we walked in, and sure enough, it has some really interesting stuff, like, you know, antiques and, and stuff that was old enough to be antiques, but not really, uh, you wouldn't really call them antique quality, but just interesting stuff, fun to, you know, some of the, you know, fun to touch and flip through and stuff like that. Um, 
I was enjoying it. Nothing that really held value for me, but it was fun to, to look through some of this stuff. And, and my kids got bored pretty quickly and decided they were going to leave and, and go down to the store where Sarah was. So I just kept browsing through the store. And eventually I saw at the back of the store uh, another room and the door was open to it. And, and from what I could see where I was standing, it looked like it had some antique brass instruments in it. I thought, well, that's pretty cool. I, you know, I played a few brass instruments and went to music, went to college on a music scholarship. And so I thought, I'll go check out that room. And so I walk back in the room and kind of look around and begin to realize pretty quickly there's not really a whole lot in the room that interests me. Um, so I turned to walk out, and as I turned, I happened to look up, and there on a bookshelf next to the doorway, on the top of the bookshelf, where you know only those blessed with height could reach it or see it, was a curved monitor. So we're talking about a computer monitor that's curved. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about, some of you? Okay, well, I'd been wanting a curved monitor for several years and just couldn't bring myself to, you know, justify spending the money to buy a curved monitor. But I saw it up there. It didn't really fit in the room. There was no price tag on it. And I thought, huh, I wonder what the story is with that. Well, what's it going to hurt? So I walked out to the lady at the cash register and I said, I noticed in the back room on the top shelf a curved monitor. What's the story with that? And she just looked at me. I don't know what you're talking about. I said, well, can I show you? She said, sure. So we walked back to the back room and I walked in and I, I, I pointed up to the curved monitor. I said, that right there, is that, is that for sale? What, what's the deal with that? She said, I have no idea. I've never seen that before. Let me call the owner. So she, she goes back out to the, the counter and she calls the owner. And of course, I can only hear one side of the story but, uh, of the conversation, but, but I pick up on the fact that the curved monitor is $25, which is a really good price for a curved monitor. It's a brand name even. And so while she's talking, I kind of step back from the, from the register and I reach in my pocket and, and I pull out my stack and I start thumbing through it and I'm like, yeah, I've got $25. I could afford to do that. And so she gets off the phone and she starts to tell me the story. The owner had recently gotten a, a, a haul of things from an estate. And this was one item that he hadn't had chance to test. He didn't know if it worked. He hadn't priced it or nothing like that. But if I wanted it, I could have it for $25 with the understanding that there's no refunds. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So now I'm going, oh, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I said, well, can we test it? Well, yeah, it only has a power cord though. It doesn't have any cord to connect to the computer. I'm like, well, that's okay. Let's get it down. I'm thinking we're going to get it down and I'm going to say, hey, let's plug it into your computer and we'll see if it works. They didn't have a computer. <laughs> like, so anyway, we plugged it into power. It came on. We saw it was, you know, it was a good screen. It looked fine. I'm like, well, okay, what do I do? It's $25. I may plug it into a computer and find out it doesn't work other than, you know, to just show a blue screen. What am I going to do? <laughs> it works. It's sitting on my office desk. So I was able to spend the $25. I got it. I, I triumphantly carry it out of the store, carry it down to the next store where Sarah is and the children are. And, and um, Sarah knew that I'd been looking at it, so she was excited for me. And the same child is like, Dad, you wasted your money. It's not even going to work. You're going to get it back and you're going to regret spending $25 on it. Well, like I said, it works just fine. And here's the point of the story. Because I knew 
how much money I had. Sarah and I had planned before the trip. We had money set aside for gas and food and housing and, you know, the things that come up on vacation. We'd even given each member of the family an amount of spending money. Because I knew how much money I had, I was able to decide if I could live with the risk of something that might later disappoint me. Although I didn't have to deal with any clutter in my heart and mind for the rest of vacation and until I could get it plugged into a computer about whether or not this was okay to buy it. I did have to deal with the clutter of a child who kept saying, Dad, what are you thinking? What are you, what are you thinking? But my heart and my mind didn't have to deal with that. There was no clutter in my heart. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to live without a mind cluttered with worries about your finances? Wouldn't it be nice to, to live with a heart that is clear about the way that you've spent your money? The most significant way to do that, the, the key to, to finding moments like that where you can live decluttered of worry and concern and anxiety is when you live out this sentence. We're going to put it on the screen. Let's say it together. I've got to be knowing where my money be going. <laughs> Let's try it again. I've got to be knowing where my money be going. Or if you want to say it with less panache, I need to make a plan for what I'm going to do with my money. Okay? Now, I didn't say it. With, we put it on the screen the rhyming way because I had a feeling that some of you would start to tune me out when I did it with less panache. I've got to have a plan for where my money's going because you heard plan and you heard money and you said, uh-uh, he's going to talk about budgeting. I'm out. I'm just going to tune back in later. Maybe he'll have something helpful to say. And if that's your response, it's probably because um, you're a giant among financial managers. Uh, you, you budget to the penny and you live up to it and, and you're doing fine. There's, there's no money concerns. Pastor Earl can't really tell me anything about budgeting I don't already know. And you're probably right. Um, as last week's story demonstrates. Or you're on the other end and you're saying, I don't want to hear about a budget. I don't need something telling me how to spend my money. I don't need to be constrained by that. I don't need my spouse having a dummy stick that they can hit me with, called a budget, when I don't spend money the way that they want it spent. Fair enough. But I'm not talking about a budget today. So if you could just give me a few minutes, what I'd like to do instead of discussing this idea of a budget is I'd like to go back to the basics. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, this is a $1 bill, which is all I had left in spending this week. Otherwise, I'd used a bigger denomination. So what I'd like to do is, is suggest for those who need to go all the way back to the basics, a two-jar approach. So let's talk about two jars that we can think about putting our money in. The first one we'll call spoken for. The spoken for jar is the things that uh, your money is already spent on before you've even made. They're commitments that you've made um, that you've got to live up to. So for example, you could see on the screen just some examples of what that would be. Uh, the spoken for jar includes things like um, like, like tithe and, and savings. We're automatically, before we even make any money, uh, we're automatically going to put some money in for 
tithe and savings. It's, it's uh, things like housing, the, you know, the rent and the, the mortgage. It's, it's utilities, the gas and the electric and the cable and the cell phone and, and groceries. It's, it's the car payment. It's, uh, uh, it's paying down the, the debt. The spoken for jar is the money that you've already committed before you've ever even made it. Whether it's fixed expenses like a mortgage or a rent payment, or whether it's variable expenses like groceries. The spoken for is the jar, the place where the money goes because you know you're going to have this expense every month. Okay, now obviously we're saying jar, but we can swap out in our minds the word account, right? So we could think about an account where we put money that's already spoken for, that already is spent before we've even earned it. You could think of this in terms of uh, a separate checking account you could open. And you could perhaps ask your employer, would you put this amount of money in that checking account? Because I know once I do that, that my bills can come right out of there and they're going to be covered. Like I don't have to worry about it. I know that I pay this much in mortgage and this much I put away for the future and, and on and on and on. And it's just going to be there. I'm not going to have to be anxious about it because it's going to come right out of the, go right into the account and come right out. My fingers never have to touch it. Can you imagine what that kind of account could do for you? No more getting anxious every time we pull out our cell phone to check our, our account balance. No more standing in Taco Bell doing mental gymnastics trying to figure out, okay, now, which bill hits before the paycheck comes next? Also, we can figure out if we're eating off a dollar menu or if we're getting the taco party pack. Do you get what I'm saying? Like tacos is my love language, and for some of you it is, so I'm sure that you can relate. So um, let's talk about two jars. The first one is um, spoken for. That's for the money that we've already made a commitment for. We've made a decision. The money's going to be used like this because it's commitments that we've made before we ever earn the money. That makes the second jar a spending jar, right? So uh, if you actually open another account and, and make one account all your commitments, that leaves one account to be spending. Well, what do we do with the, the spending jar? I would say we could do fun things like um, we're gonna do pizza and a movie. Just surprise, spur of the moment because we've got some money in our spending jar. And uh, maybe we wanna save some money for a cruise down the road. You know, it's been our lifelong dream to, I don't know, do an Alaskan cruise or whatever. And so um, some spending money is saved for that. Or, or, or maybe we wanna use this for generosity over and above the tithe. You know, things like you're at the store and you see that they have peanut butter M&Ms on sale and, and you know that your pastor's favorite M&Ms are peanut butter. <laughs> and so you pick Pastor Greg up a bag of them. No, don't do that. He's on keto. He won't be able to eat them. I'll take care of them. So the spending jar is what allows you to enjoy life. We're going back to the basics. If, if, uh, what in, where in scripture can we find some wisdom on how to deal with this? Breaking it down even just this way, which is pretty basic makes it easy to live less cluttered in your heart and in your mind about your money. 
You don't have to walk around day to day, week to week, worried, is a check going to bounce? Are they going to draft my account and I'm going to get charges then because they overdrew it or because I overdrew it? This kind of approach makes it easier. Now, what happens when there's less in your spending jar than you'd like for there to be? When, when you know, the majority of the money you're making is in the uh, spoken for jar and there's just not as much here. Well, that's a good time to reevaluate your spoken for jar. Are there some things in here that you can cut back on? Can you um, decrease your cell phone bill by paying for less data or find a new cell phone provider altogether? Can you maybe ditch the cable channels, just go with basic internet at home and, and then pay, you know, five or 12 bucks for Hulu or Netflix or, or Disney Plus? What are some other ways that, that you can reduce your spoken for amount so that you can put a little bit more in spending? But what happens when there's nothing left over and you've done everything you can with your committed funds to reduce them and the ends still don't meet? Well, that's a good time to think about, can I ask for help? There's no shame in going to family members or, or to your church family and asking for assistance at times. When you've done everything that you can to live wisely and responsibly with your money and it's just not happening in this season, God puts people in your lives who can help. Another thing you might do is um, consider um, a side hustle. I know people who do all kinds of things on the side so that they can either help with the spoken for jar or so they can have a little bit more in the spending jar. Things like regularly donating plasma, uh, things like Ubering or tutoring or crafting or, I mean, you name it, there's all kinds of side hustles you could do to help make ends meet or to have a little bit of cushion. Uh, when I was in junior high, my, uh, my parents made me adopt a side hustle as a junior high kid of recycling things because I wanted to go to Europe with the band and there was no way they were going to be able to afford it. So if I was going to go to Europe, it was going to be by recycling. And believe it or not, I did. I paid for Europe by recycling. Now, of course, the recycling economy has changed a bit in the last 30 plus years, but the gig economy is booming. And there's all kinds of side hustles or side gigs that you could find in order to help with the, uh, the spoken for or the for spending jars. So number one, the first piece of wisdom from scripture is that I've got to be knowing where my money be going. I've got to make a plan and I've got to stick to it. Second piece of wisdom I want us to look at today from the book of Proverbs is found in Proverbs 21.20. Uh, we're going to say it like this. I'm going to save for the future. Let's read the verse together off the screen. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Now let me ask you a question. Is this proverb about what's on our plate versus what's in our fridge or our pantry? Is that what it's about? No, the correct answer is no. It's not about necessarily olive oil and food. 
this proverb is about one thing that many Americans struggle with. We might call it delayed gratification. It's easier to enjoy what I have now than to wait and enjoy it later. As a matter of fact, I ran across some uh, interesting statistics this week. Generally speaking, as Americans, uh, according to a May 2019 survey, the average American adult, or 58% of Americans, have less than $1,000 saved for the future. So 58% of Americans have less than $1,000 in some kind of savings account. And apparently, the, the amount that you have in savings depends or has something to do with your gender. Let's put up the next, uh, the, the next diagram here. Uh, if, you probably can't read all the words, so let me interpret that for you. Uh, 62% of women versus 53% of men have less than $1,000 in savings. Just generally speaking, as Americans, we find it difficult to save for the future. Why is that? Because it's hard. It's hard to save for the future. I mean, sometimes the, the paycheck runs out before the bills do it. So how do I save for the future when I don't even have enough money to pay my bills? Um, sometimes um, people lack basic money management skills. They, they didn't have parents to teach them or a, a course in school that helped them understand how to, uh, you know, how to set aside money, how to use even like a simple two-jar approach. Uh, some of us are so leveraged by debt that all the extra money we have goes to paying off our debtors. Consumer debt mostly credit cards, but really any debt that allows us to buy something that won't grow in value after we've bought it is not our friend. It seems like it because I can use a credit card or I can uh, get a, you know, a line of credit perhaps and, and I can go out and buy things right now that I'll enjoy right now. And, and that seems like a good thing until we begin to realize there's payments to be made. And we've got to actually pay more than we've spent on things that have less value than they had when we got them. We begin to realize those little rectangular plastic cards aren't our friends. They're thieves. They're robbing from future me so that present me can have a little enjoyment with something I don't really need. Saving from the future, on the other hand, requires for me to say that there are some things that present me may want, may think I need, that future me is going to shake his head at, or worse yet, shake his fist at past me and say, what were you thinking? Some of us are so leveraged our future by debt that we can't save. And it's hard, and yet Scripture seems to make clear, and not only in this verse from Proverbs, but in other places, that saving for the future is the wise thing to do. Now, I've sat where some of you sit now and felt ashamed, felt guilty, felt like, I hope the pastor doesn't look at me because I wasn't where I needed to be financially, because I knew that I wasn't living according to Scripture's wisdom. 
And if that's you, um, there may be some tools or some tactics that can help. And I'd be happy to connect you with, you know, like nationwide groups that I've come to appreciate, like Crown Financial Ministries or Dave, Dave Ramsey or, or even some local people that I'd be happy to recommend one-on-one. But, but my goal today isn't necessarily to provide a lot of tactics. My goal is to remind you from God's word that the way you relate to and steward and spend your money is a reflection of your heart. As we've said before, Jesus spoke so much about money in the Gospels, and there's so much about money in the entirety of Scripture because it's about the condition of your heart. Jesus doesn't really want or need to get to your wallet. He doesn't need your money. I mean, this is, he's the infinite God, right? And there's stacks of million-dollar bills laying around. All he has to do is snap if he needs that. He doesn't need your money, but what he wants is your heart. And the way that you use your money, the way that you steward your money determines what owns your heart. And when your checkbook is what's determining what you can and cannot do, because you've got bills that you can't pay because you haven't managed your money well, because you haven't saved, then it's clear that Jesus isn't your Lord. And I know that's a bold statement. And I know that I'm speaking to some people today who are having a difficult time making ends meet. You can discern with the help of the Holy Spirit if this is about you. But more often than not, when we're not saving for the future, It's because there's something wrong in our heart. We've put our immediate wants and needs ahead of what's wise and what's healthy and what Scripture calls us to do in in saving for and making a plan for the future. How we handle our money often says more about our heart than about anything else. We need to be saving for the future. And if you're not doing that because you're so leveraged by what your wants and your needs and your desires have cost you, then it's time to confess that. To just own up to that. God already knows it anyway. Just acknowledge it. Like I said last week, we all drift. We all get off track. So just say, God, I've drifted. I've allowed my wants and my needs and my desires to influence the way that I steward what you've given me, and I'm sorry. Will you help me get back on track? So if we're going to live according to Scripture's wisdom on money, uh, we're going to make a plan. We're going to be knowing where our money be going. We're going to save for the future, and, and part of saving for the future is putting that in the spoken for jar. Before I'm ever paid, I decide there's a percentage that I'm going to set aside for future needs. That's That's a spoken for. That's a commitment that I'm making, not to a lender, not to a utility company, but to future me. And another thing that needs to be here in this spoken for jar was actually the first thing on the list when we put the picture up a while back, and that's giving to God. I've got to give to God, number three. Okay, let's read together again Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 off of the screen, please. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. 
Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. So again, in this proverb, are we talking about barns and grain and vine, yeah, vine vats, wine vats? Are we? No, not just because I can't say it. That's not necessarily how we would understand this. What are we talking about? Let's update the language. Not barn and grains and wine vats, but we're talking about things like, somebody take a stab at it. Kitchen cupboards, refrigerators, toolboxes, shoe racks. I, I, I don't, where do you store your yard toys? I mean, we're talking about the places where we store things for use, for consumption, for enjoyment. And we're talking about them being so full that we can afford to share. This is what Solomon is talking about here. Now, what does it mean to honor God with the best part of everything that we have? Some other translations that I used here um, use the word first fruits, or they, they substitute best for first. The idea here is that I give God the first and the best of what I have. Now, it seems counterintuitive to think that I would set aside money to give to God before I pay my cable bill or before I pay my car payment. Or if I'm having trouble making ends meet, why would I give more money away before I take care of my needs? But again, scripture is clear time and time again that if we want to honor God, we will give to him the first and best of what he's given us. And we'll do that before we give to anyone or anything else. That doesn't make sense. I, I freely agree with you. Humanly speaking, it makes no sense to write a check uh, for 10% of my paycheck and to give it to God through the local church, knowing that I'm not sure how I'm going to pay my rent this month. But I would suggest there's two things that being obedient and faithful to God's word demonstrates as we do it. And the first is trust. When I do things God's way, the way that he asked me to do them, I demonstrate that I trust God and I trust his word to be true. You see, in addition to these verses that we just read from Proverbs 3, where it says, if we'll give God the first and the best, what we have, we'll have plenty of. In addition to that, it is all the way through Scripture that if we'll honor God's plan, he'll take care of us. If we'll give to God our first and our best, he will meet our needs. The question becomes, do you believe God? Do you trust that his word is true on this? That if you'll give to God your first and your best, then he'll take care of your other needs. Now, let me ask you a question. If you would say, of course, I believe that, but then not consistently obey God's word, what does that demonstrate? It demonstrates that you don't really believe it, that you don't really trust him to do what he said he'll do. 
And without taking too far of a leap, let me just ask you a logical question. If you can't trust God to provide for your needs as you obey his word to give to him the first and the best, how can you trust his word that he'll provide salvation for you in Jesus Christ? I mean, where does it stop? Where do you say, I trust what God says here, but I don't really trust what it says here. When we give to God the first and the best, we demonstrate that we trust his word. And it also means that we trust his wisdom over ours. Uh, It's saying that I trust him to be able to guide me through the minefield of my wants and desires. I, I trust him to bless and to provide what I need more than I trust my own ability to plan and to scheme. I I trust his unlimited supernatural abilities to provide for me seemingly out of nowhere when necessary, more than I trust my limited natural abilities to figure out a way to make ends meet. For some of us, giving God a tenth of what he's given to us demonstrates more trust than coming to church, than reading the Bible and praying every day, than saying a salvation prayer, than being baptized, all things as Christians that we should do. But where the rubber hits the road for some of us is where we really trust God enough to give him the first and the best of what he's given us. The second thing it communicates is love. When I obey God's word on giving him the first and the best, it demonstrates not only that I trust God, but that I love God. There's some kind of sporting event going on later today. Do you know what that is? Anybody want to take any guesses as to how many spectators will hold up John 316 signs at the Super Bowl today? We probably won't see them on camera. Did you know that there was actually a couple years ago a John 316 commercial made for the Super Bowl? 30 seconds. All right, if you have it committed to memory, say it with me in whatever version you have it memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but shall have everlasting life. You see, Scripture says, when God loved us, he showed us by giving. For God so loved the world, he loved the world so much that he gave. He didn't give us a a love letter that said, do you like me too, circle one, yes or no. He didn't give us a box of chocolates or a a new car or something fancy to wear. Scripture says God loved us so much that he gave the most important thing he could give, his only son. Scripture says that Jesus Christ emptied himself of everything that made him God. He was found in appearance as a man and he humbled himself. And he lived the life of a human being dealt with all the same things that we dealt with. And at the end of of that 33 years, willingly laid down his life so that the punishment for my sin and the punishment for your sin could be on him. When God wanted to say, I love you, he gave his son. And so when we give back to God, even to the point that it hurts, even to the point that it makes us uncomfortable, that we don't understand how this is going to work, we're saying to God, I love you too. 
I love you enough, I love you enough to obey you completely and to trust that I can lean on your understanding, not my own understanding, that I can lean on your clear commands given throughout all of scripture. I, I love you enough to, to imitate your loving kindness to me and, and I trust you enough to make that a priority in my life even when it costs me and makes me uncomfortable. I love you enough to use some of what you've given me to bless, bless others. And I trust you enough to lead and guide my local church to not waste what I'm giving to you through them. I mean, the truth is, we, we've experienced it on some level, most of us. It's hard to declutter physical space. It's hard to say this stays, this goes, and we'll decide later on that. It's even harder to declutter our hearts and our minds around this topic of money and stuff. But if we'll live according to Scripture's wisdom, we can do that. If we'll make a plan, if we'll save for the future, and most importantly, if we'll give God our first and our best, we'll find that there's not a whole lot of clutter that we have to deal with. We can live confidently even in the tight days knowing that because we've been obedient to God, he'll be faithful to provide what we need. This is a lordship issue. It's not a financial issue. Who has my heart? Who am I really going to trust? Who do I really love? Will you bow and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which teaches what are sometimes uncomfortable truths, things that are difficult to obey and hard to live up to and, and don't seem to make sense according to human understanding. So Father, by your spirit, would you speak to each of us where we need to hear you on this? Father, you know my heart, you know the heart of our church leadership here is, is not a series that will boost our offerings. It's not so that we can make budget. Father, we have seen your faithfulness over the years here at the church in the years where it was, you know, where it was a offering plate to, uh, to paycheck. And, and, and sometimes we weren't sure if the paycheck was going to happen. And we've seen your faithfulness in years where there's been a bounty and where we've given back to others, when we've given it away. And so, Father, my desire, our desire is the same for everyone here, that we would know your faithfulness, that we would be faithful when the money's tight and we would be faithful when uh, there seems to be plenty to go around and some extra. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are struggling. This was a hard message because the ends aren't meeting. And they have asked, or they do need to ask for help. Father, I pray that as you have their heart, they would follow in obedience where you've led the way. I pray that they would see your provision, whether it's through family or friends or the church or some kind of miraculous provision, whether it's through opening up, opening up a side hustle or however you would do it, Father. Would you help them to see that you can be counted on and that they can be faithful? 
And Lord, for those here who have plenty of margin and, and today really was kind of elementary and, 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 and you know, perhaps on the surface not really that meaningful, would you speak to their hearts too, Lord? And, and uh, if there's places in, in, in lives that aren't completely given over to you, maybe it's not a money issue, maybe there's something else, but by your spirit, would you put your finger on that place in their lives where you need to be their Lord, where they need to surrender. And would you continue to call all of us to that, Lord? We desire to be a church completely surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So Father, we pray that you would lead us and guide us in that direction. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.